Welcome to the RSP cast film and film film and film. Yes. Film and film sounds pretty darn good actually. And joining me is Jordan Vanek with, um, the 33rd team and Jordan it's, you know, we got a chance to chop it up with, um, with our, with our man, Mr. Brown over at, uh, you know, over at football guys around the draft. And I just had so much t fun talking ball with you that I was hoping that I could get you on for this. So instead of filming data today or filming theory, we're doing film and film, and we're going to talk about what we've seen in the NFL thus far. So, uh, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I, I know we, uh, we had love for Anthony Richardson in the same, same form. It's cool to see kind of his development so far this year where you can see he's processing and again, that escapability and avoiding sacks is very special. Yeah, without a doubt, you know. And I think we'll come back on and we'll get it. I think in a couple of years we'll be talking about him on a on a very different level. But uh, you know, let's start off. Let's start off with the Dolphins ground game because that you know, and you brought up something you know from some you know talking about some of your DFS wins in the past about you know how you do it because you're very much a film oriented guy whereas a lot of dfs people are more about the numbers and 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 so you know it's funny because i and i was sharing i obviously i don't play much dfs um and where i did i've had success but it was mostly from watching film and then just from a time element it was like am i going to scout players for a living or am i going to am i going to quit that because if i you know and i i'm doing what i'm doing i love it but Tell me about a little bit about your history with like identifying the Dolphins ground game and then what your thoughts are with how it's evolved us, you know, in 2023. So it all starts with Mike McDaniel. I mean, he's just a mad scientist. Obviously, he's someone that comes from that Kyle Shanahan tree. And the one thing that I've always loved from Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, was they get their best players the ball and they and Mike McDaniel, from all that he said, he's an outside the box thinker. I remember last year watching Tua hand the ball off like backwards. It's kind of like, well, why? Well, it kind of hides the ball for a good second. Why do we have to hand it off forwards? Like, he just does things that kind of get you thinking. Like, this past weekend, Tyreek Hill lined up at tight end. So, and then he jet motions out, and the linebackers have no idea w what to do because their coverage rules and assignments are broken. So, their ground game right now is special because it looks like everybody enjoys what they're doing and their offensive line is playing unbelievable. They added Isaiah Wynn. He's been phenomenal begin like the start of the year and he's been everything they've needed for that pulling type guard, a guy that's just, you know, going to be able to demolish people. And then they also like did a fun experiment last year where Connor Williams is playing center. Connor Williams has played left tackle. He's played, I believe, right tackle at Texas. He's played guard. He's now playing center, so he understands what everybody's assignment is. And then on top of it, he's a very athletic dude that can kind of do what Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel did in San Fran when they had the center or Mac from the Falcons, yeah. where the pulling stuff and just kind of being chaotic in the run game. And then this past weekend, speed. The, there's no angle linebackers can get to right now because H or Chan and Raheem Mostert. They're just crushing those angles. Like, in Mike McDaniel also is very adaptive in the run game and has multiple inside zones, outside zone. He's normally an outside zone guy. But you saw in the New England game just last week or two weeks ago where Bill Jelichick 
his guys and the way that he formulates things, he crushes outside zone. So Mike McDaniel's like, okay, I'm going to run inside zone on you. Next thing you know, Raheem Mostert breaks a 60-yard touchdown because they can't hit the angle, and he's just one of the more explosive players in the league right now. Even at his age, it doesn't really matter. He hasn't taken a ton of touches, and when he's on the field, he's extremely explosive. So overall, you can see a team that's playing together. There's a lot of different pieces in different places, and when you have to focus on Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and these jet motions, it's just breaking these linebackers and corners coverage assignments, and they're all focused on that instead of the run game. Yeah, I mean, to me, the end result looks like what they've achieved are punt return lanes as opposed to rushing lanes. I mean, that's the best way I try to describe it to people is that, like, just in the way that Arthur Smith used Cordero Patterson and said, hey, I saw what Bill Belichick was doing with him using toss, and that seems to be a good thing. What if we continue to build our offense around that toss play or on gap plays where we can get him to the edge and now it's just a punt return where he might have been the greatest punt returner I've ever seen um, on tape in terms of like in like scouting a player. He was one of the best open field runners I ever saw. And he had that great success. And now you t- take a look at that motion with Mike McDaniel. And like one of the plays that I remember, like two plays that were memorable for me. One was a 20-yard run by Achan where Tyreek Hill is in that wing, on that wing as a tight end. And that late motion, it was against a soft edge of the safety and corner. So they're playing off and high. And they and one of them was tight over Hill. But as soon as Hill went that direction, I think he was a linebacker, actually. He widened out. And, the, and once that happened, him and the safety widened out. You had this massive gap once the pullers came and it was like if you're it was just like that was if you were like Chris Brooks who had 66 yards in that game and I'm a big fan of his game but like he's he's you know he's a dump truck compared to like these ninja motorcycles that are accelerating through there and you know you're still gonna gain like a big guy like that still gonna gain 15 yards probably maybe 20 because you're gonna break tackles on top of it but like tell me a little bit more about like what are some of the run rules that get broken for like a linebacker when like there's that late motion that stretches out is it because they they see that and they go oh that's man and i've got to worry about say the i've got to worry about the wheel route or a bullet route or is that what that is or is it like something more is it or are there other things too well, the the main thing is is like they get them out of the running lanes they're supposed to be in. Like they, they get them out of the gaps that they're supposed to be filling. And when with Tyree Kill just in general, like if you don't <laughs> if you don't come out on him, it's a it's a speed race. You saw it in the first drive of the game. Yeah. Tyree Kill is wide open. Yeah. I don't know like People obviously are coming around on Mike McDaniel because obviously what he's doing in Miami, like scoring 70 points in a football game is just (laughs) still mind-boggling to me. And he could have scored 73. He probably could have scored 100 if he really, really wanted to. But like right now what they're doing, and I think there's also a credit to Vic Vangio of bringing him in and probably learning from him because we saw last season who stopped him. It was Braden Staley. It was that Chargers team. They took away a lot of what this scheme does really, really well. And then you saw in week one, Mike McDaniel countered with, oh, I just have to avoid Asante Samuel Jr. That's fine. I'll figure out a way to do that. And like for these run game situations, I think 
obviously Vic Fangio creates the light box and he's able to kind of slow down a run game to some extent with that. But Mike McDaniel learning off of like him as someone who's been around the league for a long time and being able to pick his brain of a guy that actually or system that actually stopped him has just helped him take it to a whole new level. Right now, what they're doing with Hill is just pulling these linebackers out of their lanes. I mean, putting them at tight end, like your defense is assigned certain things. And when your defense is like, hey, your responsibility is the tight end. And it's Tyree like, Kill. <laughs> yeah. They, the um, Chargers had the issue with it. They went to their 3-4 look when the Dolphins went 21 personnel. And there was a play, play where Khalil Mack, the outside linebacker, was responsible for Tyree Kill in the slot. And Tua just looked to the side and was like, oh, this is perfect. Runs yeah. a little quick out, hits him. Tyree Kill goes for like another 20 yards. And then there was another play where the Chargers said, okay, we're going to go nickel when they go uh, 21 personnel. The Dolphins went five wide and put Ingold on one side of the field and Moster on the other side of the field and kept Smythe and Hill tight on one side stacked. And then Jalen Waddle in the slot. Chargers were in man like two man so their safeties are 20 yards deep because Tyree Kill <laughs> there's the linebackers followed the fullback and the running back out wide so that left nobody in the middle of the field and now you're sitting here like your one corner is isolated with no help inside yeah. on Jalen Waddle and then Tyree Kill and Durham Smythe are stacked and you're just praying yeah. <laughs> that they your corners don't break assignment and I remember Tua just took the snap, hit Jalen Waddle on the slot or slant, and he goes eight or seven yards or twenty-four yards in that game. It's like they're just creating so many mismatches. Yeah. And once you give it the pass, the run game, the linebackers are terrified of the pass. They're on their back heels, and then the run game just gets going. And you saw it on this Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it's funny the way you describe it. It's almost like if you got in a knife fight with someone who was wearing a suit of armor. And the yeah. way that you did a technique, you literally pulled the suit of armor apart yeah. the way you described that play <laughs> on either side. And now you're just exposing like their skin and then yep. your knives are on the inside. You know, you know, it's like, okay. And it's, it's crazy because, you know, and then you talked about, you know, the scouting against type, you know, you can kind of see that they scout against type in the, in the Broncos game. I mean, watching all the outside, all the outside work. And then we're like, now they're deathly afraid of everything outside. Let's keep everything outside. Let's keep our players deep. And then they run a, a version of like, where they run like, I don't remember what the exact play is, but it's like mm -hmm. they toss they toss it to, to, H, to H hand, but they have a lead fullback who's winding back. So <laughs> it, it's literally like an inside play where it's like you got this wind back from the fullback and the toss gives you the th feeling that it's going to go outside. And because the fullback set and the running back are both catching, you know, taking the toss in the, to the left and then the running, the fullback goes to the inside. And then it's like, okay, now I just gashed you for 30 or 40 up the middle. And it's just like, at that point, it's just like, I give up, you know, <laughs> because they scout, they literally, like you said, he's scouting against him. You know, he's getting to look at where are my weaknesses and let me play off those weaknesses. Yeah. Yep. So, no, that it. Any chance? Do you look at HN and, and Mostert and go, yeah, that's going to fade this year. Someone's going to be able to come up with something to stop them oh. on a level. Or do you look at it as more of a, even if they stop them to an extent, it's still going to be a very productive ground game this year? This week is the week I'm very intrigued with. And I know the Bills and Dolphins just from a, like, 
big pictures like divisional rivalry and all that type of stuff but the bills run their nickel package on 100 percent of snaps against 21 personnel mike mcdaniel knows this he knew it last year and we saw in the bills snow game that raheem Mostert just was trucking they, they were going so Atron getting the game that he had in the moment like needing that right now because it kind of shows like okay we have a new we have a new weapon we can use especially they scored 70 without Jalen Waddle, which is still mind-boggling yeah in this game they're gonna run 21 I feel like a lot with Ingold and honestly they might even run it with Moser and Atron on the field because Atron can just play like a slot receiver like a Darren Sproles-esque dude and you talk about jet motion they might not need to use Tyree Kill on all those like he can do a lot of the stuff from like a speed perspective that terrifies. Like they can go and have him motion from the slot to take like the jet pass as Mostert just comes underneath and they pull everybody to the other side of the field. And Taylor Rapp is the weak side linebacker right now for the Bills when they when they go C twenty one. I don't I don't think I think Mike McDaniel's just gonna go at that. Because yeah. as always, best quarter best uh, defense against a great quarterback like Josh Allen is keeping him off the field and making him feel pressure to score points because then he turns the ball over. Yeah, and then he goes haywire like he's Ricky Bobby, you know. Yep. You know, you know, he 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 has a little bit of that in him. That's for sure. Yep. Do you um, what what was I going to ask you about with this? Um, it, it's what's mind boggling to me too is when you said Jalen Waddle was missing, and when you think about the fact that they still had, they still have, you know. They still had four players who are who would be the fastest player on a lot of teams. When you add Chosen Anderson to the mix, who was off the practice squad, and then they yeah. put him back on the practice squad. They literally have five players who people would say, that's our speed guy on our team. Yeah. And, and people don't realize how much of a multiplier, well, they are now. You look at the Dolphins, you see how much of a multiplier it is to have that much speed on a team if it's used in a manner to to threaten the rules of a defense and you explained that so well i mean <laughs> it's it's what i do i mean i uh robbie or robbie chosen i know he yeah. changed he's changed his name so many times it's cool for him though um just like a little side story like he grew up down here in south florida that's where i am i uh, played at plantation high school um so he's expressed to mike mcdaniel like after mike mcdaniel informed him like hey like you're going to be waived by us because you just didn't cut it out. He asked to stay on the practice squad. Like Robbie chosen at his point in his career. Like, obviously he's not a guy that's going to be a huge difference maker for teams, but he wanted to stay home. And Mike McDaniel talked about like him working hard and kind of being the guy that wants respect and having him score the touchdown a touchdown in the game from even Mike White, who's another South Florida kid. He played yeah. at a U school down here. I watched him actually uh, when I was in high school. So watching them to connect in the first home game for Miami was a uh, pretty cool to see. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty cool story. I had no yeah. idea about that. That's awesome. So let's talk about some offenses since we're on the ground game. In addition yeah. to Miami, who are some offenses where you'd invest in the running back depth chart if you're playing like dynasty or regular season with larger rosters, because a lot of the a lot of my my listeners are kind of like the diehard large roster 40, 40 roster, you know, IDP <laughs> kind of guys, you know, they and they're and they're looking for depth. Um, okay. So, so where offenses that you're like, you know what, we're off to a bad start with the running backs, guys are getting hurt. 
or I, you know, I had J.K. Dobbins, I had Nick Chubb, I had Jonathan mm-hmm. Taylor, and now I'm like perpetually looking for a opportunity where that a bat could hit. And so I thought what I recommended to people this week at Football Guys was here are three teams that I think you should just at the end of your roster just be rotating these guys when you have the luxury to have them on your roster just in case an injury happens because the offensive line's playing well. They seem to be scheming well against good defenses and figuring out how to stay away from the disruptive characters like, say, Arizona against Dallas, you know, (laughs) how they were able to stay away from Micah Parsons and neutralize him and get guys to... And and where I think they have talent on the depth chart to where, you know, James Conner doesn't work out. I like Keontae Ingram enough to feel like paired with that offense and with enough carries, he could be serviceable for you in a manner where, you know, they they might be able to do some decent work, especially with the way they're employing their scheme. So that was one that I, I would recommend. But are there teams like that that come to mind for you where you would go, yeah, I'm... I'm interested in, I'd be interested in this backfield. And, and you, you know, I, I picked Miami because like I, yeah. after <laughs> HN and Mostert, I still like Chris Brooks and, and yeah. he may still be behind Salvin Ahmed, but still, you, you know, yeah. you could see whoever it is, it's going to be okay. Yeah. As long as they have two at Tyreek Hill, I don't even know what I'm saying if they need Toronto Armstead because they walk really well without him right now. Which is, uh, <laughs> like, he, he played he played this past weekend, which is the seventy point performance. But they looked really good blocking against New England and the Chargers, which was very impressive to me. But um, one player that came to mind just from a again, he he hasn't been great. He's uh, he he had the draft capital invested. Obviously, we know how it panned out. But Trey Sermon, um, right now he's the backup in Indy. We know Jonathan Taylor is most likely going to either. Like, doesn't want to be there as of right now. And you saw that Colts run game with Zach Moss run extremely well against Baltimore. Um, For me, Shane Steichen as a play caller, I am very impressed with the way that he's able to, what he's done in just one season so far with them, being the record they have. And running against Baltimore was just something I did not expect. I knew Zach Moss was going to get a lot of touches. And obviously right now, he got 90% of them or something crazy. So I would go with them, and then, I mean, you can never go wrong with San Fran. Like, (laughs) you just, you add those guys, and if, for whatever reason, they need to rest McCaffrey, because they seem to just not care about the whole rest thing with him, they keep talking about it. (laughs) I don't don't know if anybody's going to sell Elijah Mitchell, but if you can buy into it, I I just would, because the middle portion of the season he's going to have to get rest. He can't keep at the pace he is. As a, as a Panthers fan, I, I love McCaffrey. He's going to want to do that. Yeah. Like That's what he wants to be, but Shanahan's going to have to pull him back just a little bit. And then I'd say Seattle. I, I think we've, we've seen him throughout the years. I know Kenneth Walker just had a huge game against the Carolina Panthers, but I think right now they're playing a ton of 12, which is something I want for my running backs, especially when you have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Yeah. And the run game's going to get going with Gino. Gino doesn't want to sit back and throw the ball 40 times a game. He just wants to win. And run game will be a be a big reason why. So I, I, I just want to make a, um, a a little statement here. I did not pay Jordan to say Trey Sermon. So um, <laughs> <laughs> if, 
and I don't know if you know, but like I, I had Trey Sermon rated as my number one back in that year that he was there. I was a big Trey Sermon fan. So the joke, I get a lot of people who ask me, they're like, are you, you know, what do you think of Trey Sermon here? What do you think about him in these places, you know, as he's going here? And I'm like, listen, just wait and see. That's all I can tell you. Don't, um, yeah. you know, don't jump the gun or anything. But what is it about, what is it about the Colts run game with Sermon? Because I know people are, would probably want to know. Who, who listen to this what is from your standpoint why did you choose him and why'd you and what with that Colts run game well they added him and then they elevated him immediately um which is not something I you see often Zach Moss isn't a guy that I could I'm expecting to take the workload that he has been and when you watch their game against Baltimore, Baltimore doesn't let you run they've just historically been able to shut down the run game they have Roquan and Patrick Queen Obviously, their upfront guys aren't as good as years past, but they're still formidable. And then you saw Shane Seich and be able to kind of get it going with Zach Moss. And it was, yeah, Zach Moss broke some tackles. But the offense is kind of built that way where we have Quentin Nelson on it. Like, the, the Colts still have pieces on their offensive line that can do some damage in the run game. And for me, with Trey Sermon, it's kind of like, so Anthony Richardson comes back. Anthony Richardson, obviously, is going to run. But he's also a threat to run. Like, this could be a Gus Edwards situation where he's not getting 25 carries in a game, but in a deep league where you, you need guys on your roster for certain weeks, I could see Trey Sermon having or being effective in this scheme because of the threat of Anthony Richardson, because of the way that they can kind of get going offensively and elevating him after just claiming him and kind of Jake Funk just being like, you're to the backseat, buddy. Uh, I think he, there's a good chance that we see him see more touches in this upcoming week because they're going to want to lessen the workload on yeah, Zach Moss. That makes sense. And I would probably, I'll add Washington to that mix. And, and I'm, that's, it's, I'm, you know, <laughs> I look at it this way. I don't think Antonio Gibson is like the greatest running back alive by any stretch of the imagination, but we've seen what he can do with an, enough touches and dedicated touches I like what Brian Robinson has done. You can see he's got good feet. He opens his hips well. He can make sudden changes of direction. So he pre and he's very good at pressing deep into the line and getting out. And the line seems healthy enough that they and with what they do in the screen game and what the enemy's doing right now, I feel like that there's enough there that they're playing two tight ends. They can get heavy when they want to. They can and and so I've kind of liked what I've seen. I like what he did against Buffalo. I think that if Howell, you know, Howell just underestimated linebacker drops in yeah. some in some situations, had a really <laughs> rough game. But overall, this year he's played reasonably well. They've made simple solutions for him to be able to, you know, they put like three on two, they flood zones, and then like he's like able to not have to do a lot of manipulation across the field. But when that happens, he stands in tough in the pocket and makes the throws. So mm -hmm. I think that this team is going to be able to stay in it enough with this offensive line that they're good enough that, uh, you know, I like Brian Robinson. You're probably not going to be able to get Brian Robinson, HN, Mostert, you know, McCaffrey, all the guys we talked about. But if you're if you're just hoping for a chance and not that you're you're rooting for injury, but you're just hoping for an opportunity, I think that's another way of looking at it. So Michael, well, it's the same thing, but... I, you know, I choose it to look happens. at it from an op optimistic side, just saying, I, yeah, life happens and you got to be prepared for the, the potential. Just keep, you know, just keep taking guys from these teams. And then at that, and at some point, maybe 
you're able to and or just be monitoring them and then at that point you're going to be able to get some guys maybe cheaply who if you can stay in the thick of it you know it, for the first six to eight weeks of the season and you get one of these guys in the right situation you might end up with a, a running back who helps your team really just gel together at the exact right time so mm -hmm. yeah so let's get to rookies who are you know you're a big college football guy so who are you, who's encouraged you thus far this season from what you've seen of their play? So to take a, an easy answer, uh, first round pick Jordan Addison, I was in love with him when he came out of college and he's showing everything that I thought he was where these posts like double move corner type concepts, he doesn't lose speed. He gets in and out of his break really well and he tracks the football really well down the field. Obviously he's not seeing a ton of snap share. Well, because Quezzy and Minnesota right now are trying to get 12 personnel on the field, similar to what the 49ers and Miami do. They didn't bring in the fullback. They brought in Josh Oliver to protect Kirk Cousins and then let Justin Jefferson and eventually Jordan Addison uh, be the two main receivers on the field and let them uh, exploit teams down the field. So for me, Addison, as of right now, everything I saw from him in college is everything I'm seeing from him in the pros. He's never going to be a guy that's going to command, you know, 14 targets in a game. However, he's someone that can get a gun down the field. He can get it done on the sidelines. He He's kind of built similarly to like Calvin Ridley, Stefan Diggs, um, and Devonta Smith. Not quite as technician of a route runner as those guys are in today's NFL, but he's got room to develop in that way. I know his weight and his 40 time were a big concern for everybody. However... He's, he's caught two or three 40-yard touchdowns this year. It yeah. seems like he gets a play every single week because he is just beating these safeties inside. He is setting guys up and out-leveraging them and just making the big play down the field. That's one of my main guys. I don't know your thoughts on him. I'm, I'm Hey, I'm thrilled with him. I think that he's exactly what you would expect him to be. I compared him to somewhere between like an asper his aspirational players were a mix of Devonta and T.Y. Hilton. And okay. when you think about Ty, I mean, he was a, he was a, he was a rugged, sturdy player for his size. I mean, they put him outside a lot, and mm -hmm. and he figured out a way to manage that in in time. Then you know, as as his career went along, he got banged up, but like you could see that he was versatile enough. And I think that I think Addison has that opportunity to grow in that direction. You know, and and yeah. and yeah, the best the best corners in the NFL. Some of them didn't, you know. Or some or veteran cornerbacks. I saw the Eagles game, and, and he didn't. There was a couple of plays where I saw they didn't bite on the double move, uh, you know, early. But like you said, he's won on them in the NFL already. So you're seeing. I think he's a heady receiver who's only going to get better. Yeah. And and yeah, I don't have really much to add with you about him. I'd <laughs> say that you, you know a guy that's a guy that's probably impressed me um, early on. I, I was a big Sam Laporta fan. I and yep. and I'll say Kincaid and Laporta. I'm a big fan of both those guys. And while Kincaid, I've joked, looks like he's like those dime store like plastic ponies that kids put the slot on and ride, and they're they're using a <laughs> thoroughbred like this like ride a pony out in front of the drugstore. Um, yep. Right now, I think that that's just based on you know the coverages that you're seeing on some of the things that they wanted 
what they're trying to do offensively. I think they'll expand it a little bit more where Kincaid will get some of these seam routes and fades mm-hmm. and things that he's great at. Um, but when you watch him on in, on these short routes, even if he only gains two yards or three yards, he's breaking a tackle and making someone miss on just about every catch. Um, and so, I you know, to me, the athletic ability is translating just fine. Um, it's yep. just the usage isn't there yet, and I'm. I think it's going to happen. And with Laporta, Laporta is exactly what I thought he was, which is a guy who you can put outside and have run some in breaking and out breaking routes against um, safeties or corners if you need to. But it's that. But they're going to put a linebacker out there and follow him, and he's going to be an absolute mismatch there. And you know, you saw. You saw, I don't know the name of the play, but you see the 49ers do it. You see the you see the Bears do it. You've seen a number of teams do it where basically it's a it's a play action rollout to one side. The the Titan looks like he's going the sail route and and gets the safety to basically bite on the sail and then he breaks across the field on a deep over and it's a long touchdown and that's what we had with Laporta and, and Jared Goff. So I was I was encouraged that they're using Laporta the way they said they were all yeah. all summer long, and I think that he's a uh, the fact that he's a top three tight end right now. While I'm pleasantly surprised, just because I'm pessimistic that they're going to use guys like that ability wise, I'm not surprised at all. No, this tight end class was uh, very very talented, and they all kind of went to the spots that like needed. I felt like. Or that development. I was a little worried with Laporta being in Detroit, but then Jamison Williams being suspended when he got suspended, it's kind of like, well, he's going to have to be a big part of this offense early on. And once you're a part of it, you're just going to stay that way for the rest of it because once golf trusts you, then you're good. And right now, I think uh, tonight he's probably in for a big game against the Green Bay Packers because they sit in a lot of cover three, cover four. Yeah. Um, the Devondre Campbell uh, being out. He's one of the better coverage linebackers in football. Like, I like Quay Walker a lot. I think Quay Walker's a very athletic and talented player. I think the eye candy can get him, and Sam Laborda can get behind him, and they're going to see some big plays uh, from him tonight. But another rookie that kind of made me encourage me, I guess, is someone that I've touted for quite some time, and obviously he just had the blow-up game, but Tank Dell. Um, Tank Dell was a guy that I saw at the Senior Bowl when he was at the Senior Bowl he makes everything look the same off the line of scrimmage. And what I mean by that is his when teams people try to press him, he comes at you the same way, and he can break in every direction. And it worked at the Senior Bowl at a high level. And I was like, wow, he's 160 or 68 pounds or whatever the nonsense was. He's not going to be able to get it done. And I was like, okay, maybe 168 pounds might not you know, bring the draft capital. But then he got drafted in the third or second round, third round, and then you heard that C.J. Stroud was a part of that pick. And it's like, so you're telling me they were they looked past his weight nonsense, and then they the quarterback they drafted in the first round was all in on picking him because he guess they threw together. And then you saw a lot of the camp highlights from throughout the uh, preseason. I was very into it, obviously. He blew up in the first game. Then he obviously didn't play because Noah Brown was starting over him for whatever reason. Bobby Slowick decided to go that route. But now that he's on the field, he's not coming off. And Bobby Slowick has adapted a lot of what Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel probably helped teach him in that sense of yak creators. 
Tank Dell is a separator, and he is getting the ball in space. And right now, C.J. Stroud is just one of the smoother passers that I've seen from a rookie. Um, he looks comfortable. He looks calm. It's like, bad snap, doesn't matter. I'll pick it up. I'll relax. I'll find my guy, find my read. And just Tank Dell, using his hips, getting in and out of breaks. There was a play he made against the Colts where he ran a deep out. And by the third step of him like turning the corner on that out route, the corner still hadn't flipped his hips to cover the out. <laughs> yeah. And it was just a beautiful, just, oh, he's catching it 20 yards down the field. I, I don't really have like a Tank Dell comp at this point. He's just one of a kind with his speed, his in and out of breaks. And now he's got a quarterback that trusts him and they can't run the ball right now. So they're going to throw the ball 25, 30 times a game. And him and Nico Collins are probably going to be the main targets. Robert Woods has played exceptionally well. We all know his age. We all know that he's not going to continue that. But Tank Dell, for me, has been one that stood out as a as a guy that I was in on. I think he's one of my highest drafted receivers in best ball, which is nice. Yeah, and, you know, when you watched him, you could tell that he was a very accomplished route runner who could yep. tell a story in a very efficient and explosive way. The only question I had with him about his game, like, early would be, he did everything great up until the catch point, and then that's where he had some inconsistencies with attack and positioning. But you could see him positioning against guys and playing big boy outside receiver ball in those situations yep. too and having success with it. So you knew it wasn't like he couldn't do it. It was yep. just that he didn't always do it consistently well. And so in open field, I mean, him, Zay Flowers, Yep. And Ty J. Spears were the best open field players, I think, in this draft class, if you ask me. Like, they were, in my opinion. And yeah. and Spears, I mean, I've talked a lot about him on shows on this on this this channel, uh, you know. And, and if you haven't heard it, I'll just put it this way. When a, when a coach like Mike Vrabel, who doesn't praise any rookies, decides in game one against the New Orleans Saints in the Superdome, where it's deafening, says, you know what? we're going to use you in pass protection and you're going to be picking up twisting defensive tackles and you're going to win those interactions repeatedly and look like a four, five year veteran doing it. Um, I was blown away because I knew he could catch. I knew yeah. he could run, but I didn't know he was going to be that steady as a pass protector. I'm, I'm over the moon about Ty J Spears. Um, even though people are worried about, you know, the knees, but I'm like, he's a coper and copers, you know, he, it's, he's kind of an exceptional circumstance, I would say. And I think he's going to end up being the man or the lead man by the end of the year. Um, if this doesn't work, if they can't stay competitive and the Titans are kind of an up and down team, like they can, they, they match up well with certain teams and the teams that don't play consistently strong football, they can be competitive and win. The best defenses, they face really strong defenses. They're trash right now. I mean, they, you saw what the Browns were able to do with their yeah. defense that, you know, but then against the Chargers, you know, yeah. different story or same Saints, Saints with an aided noise factor, you know, that there was, you know, so you kind of see that. Um, but what, a guy that's kind of under the radar that I, that I've been like enjoying seeing is Dontavian Wicks, the UVA kid with the Packers. 
He's I I have a story about this one. Good, because Drew Lieberman is like a, a friend of the show, and I've had him on a couple times, and he's coached wide receivers and tight ends, guys like Evan Ingram before his contract year in Jayville to get him like help him with his hands a little bit. And he's worked with guys like Edelman and Mohamed Sanu and a bunch of and he and one of his uh, 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 um, Alameda Zacchaeus is one of his guys. He's always been kind of a, a low key favorite of mine, and and Wicks. And he told me about Wicks. You know, he asked me about what I had for Wicks, and I said, you know, I I see him as a guy that could develop um, down the line. There's just some things that you know works out. But you watch him in the preseason, and you can see what he did well. He did very well. Like yep. he, the things he knew. And he was, and you could tell he could handle the physicality of the game extraordinarily well. And he seemed to play with a lot of confidence. And it just seems like he keeps finding his way with Christian Watson out to be able to make some plays, you know. And I think he's, I think Jordan Love's taken a shine to him a bit in terms of trusting him to be able to do what he needs to do well in in the right situation. So, what's your story on Wicks? So, the twenty twenty one Wicks year was the year that I was like, this guy could be a day two pick, like a late day two pick. And then 2022 season came along and they changed offenses from uh, who they had to a Clemson guy, Clemson offensive coordinator. Their offense could not have been put together any worse than what it was in that season. Um, It was pitiful. Like Brandon Armstrong the year prior threw for like, 4,400 yards. I don't think he hit 3K. And it's like, that's just a product of just not putting together the right offense. And in 2021, 67% of his throws came or yards came on 15 air yards or more. When you watch this guy down the field, I think that's just what I love about receivers. When you can win down the field, it's special to me. Wicks was one of those guys. And he's not the, the combine. He had the hurt hip. And during the senior bowl, like I saw someone that was just making corners miss, frankly. And he was running, there's a whip route. He ran on, um, Jamie Robinson. who's a safety. Still you get matchups with safety sometimes as corners. He put him like two shoes, like just on the ground and wide open, caught a touchdown. Um, throughout the whole senior bowl process, I was very impressed with him. And then obviously the draft capital and everything kind of came out. I was going to be writing about him until that, uh, transpired, but for, but the senior bowl, I did write about him, did say those things. So for Wicks, I'm so happy to see it. I yeah. think that right now he's, I don't think he's that far off Romeo Dubs. Like I don't see Romeo Dubs as this much better than him. I think Christian Watson's the, the player in this receiving room. That's the top dog. I think Jaden Reed is going to be the second guy. Yeah. Uh, but that third spot between Wicks and Dubs is going to be a very, very interesting story. Cause I think Wicks, from a prospect standpoint, was better than Dubes coming out of college. Just I would because agree. Dubes couldn't fight off press coverage really well. He struggles with that in the NFL today, still. Um, and Wicks was a guy that, like, that 2021 year, if you just focus on that season, you just forget 2022 ever happened, I promise you'll be very, very impressed with him. I'm impressed with him. I hope tonight he keeps pace with dudes because i know watson's back and i think he's going to play like 70 percent of the snaps at least because yeah. they kept him out for a while to do it but wicks is a guy that down the field um i'm very excited i uh last one i'll mention for me and the rookies josh josh downs he hasn't produced yet has not put up big numbers 
I see a guy that gets open frequently and talking about a dude who makes people miss. There was a route he ran against the Texans, I think, on his 27-yard catch that uh, Anthony Richard peppered him with. He had the corner or the slot corner on his knees to the right as he broke inside. He's someone that it's he's a better it's tough to say like Isaiah McKenzie because Isaiah McKenzie was a little bit more raw coming out. Like Josh Downs is going to be a seven to ten year slot player. Um like similar to like maybe a like more athletic Sterling Shepard. Yes. Um maybe like I mean more athletic Cole Beasley. Like there you go. he can he can get in and out. Uh, again, there's there's the deep side of football that I really like, but then there's Josh Downs who just he's going to get open between four to twelve yards down the field at a high rate. And you want to talk about developing Anthony Richardson, that's a dude that's gonna help a lot yes. with his development. It's just gonna be about getting on the same page, knowing how to sit in these soft zones, and Josh Downs can do some things after the catch, even out of size. So for me, those were the uh, the three rookies that I had as a uh, very impressive, and I can't wait till they have that big, big game because I've been I touted him last week. He didn't put up big numbers against the Ravens. It was a little bit rainy, and Menchu didn't just pepper him. But I think this upcoming few weeks he's going to have one of those games where he gets over a hundred. No, I love it, and I love the the thoughts on Green Bay because rarely does anybody see eye to eye with me about Romeo Dubs is that I just saw him as a guy that, again, he was everything everything between, like, the mid-stem up yep. until the ball arrives looks good. And then it's that he's gotten better with positioning his hands and positioning his body. He's You can see him improving there, but it wasn't a naturally good thing for him. It was actually a struggle for him at Nevada to like make the right position. And the guy who won those plays was Cole Turner. He was yep. that guy that you trust that Carson Strong trusted in that respect. Whereas Dubs with Dubs, you would be like, he's open enough. If I can get it to him and he doesn't have to fight for it, it might, we're going to be okay. And then the throw might have been, oops, like you're going to have to fight yeah. for it. But like Wicks was the exact opposite. Wicks, you knew like, Yep. You knew if, if it's anywhere near him, he was getting it. And what was impressive to me is in the preseason watching some of these slants that he ran or crossers or any type of route over the middle, his ability to just play physical, get downhill, and and make somebody miss or break a tackle. You're just looking at him and going, he doesn't have to be combine fast. This guy is no. this guy's going to make plays. Um, so who are players you think have the talent to produce? Kind of like Downs. More guys like Downs, but they don't have to be rookies. Like, you think they have the talent to produce, but the environment just isn't there for it to happen for them this year. Yeah, I mean, the main guy is it's a rookie. It's, a, it's someone that was drafted highly, but JSN, like, it's just not right now without the left tackle and right tackle. You see Seattle play 12. And when they're going to play 12, when you look who your three or two receivers you're going to throw out there between Metcalf, Lockin, and JSN, it's Metcalf and Lockett. JSN right now just doesn't have a role in this offense, and it sucks because it's going to be criticized for your you know first rookie taken. You got a first round draft pick. That means you're supposed to play all these snaps, and all these other rookies are playing extremely well. But <clears throat> for me right now, it's like this guy. It's not his fault. He's not on the field because yeah. he's playing behind two very very good players and in a situation where 
I think if they had their left tackle and right tackle, they'd be they'd be running a lot more eleven. That's that, and that, and then thank you for that because it's it's the the contention I've always had since they drafted him. So he's going to be the most productive receiver in this class as a rookie if they play because they you look at the story. Shane Waldron comes over from the Rams, who play yep. a lot of eleven personnel. They they got their Cooper Cup. They they were hoping to get a Cooper esque cup a Cooper Cup esque type of player in D Eskridge when they yep. first drafted him in the second round, who yep. speedster can you know very physical in the run game, someone who really didn't get hurt all that often if I recall, but can't couldn't stay healthy and they pretty much gave up on him as like being the future probably because there's other things that we we don't know about if that's happened. So now they they go back to the well and people are like, well, that doesn't make any sense. They play all these two tight end, they play 12 personnel all this X percentage yeah. of the time. And I'm going, they had to. D. Eskridge was their second round pick. They were expecting him to be on the field. It didn't work out. So they had to go with their tight ends. Well, they praised the tight ends this summer. Well, if you're a coach, are you going to say, we really didn't want to use Will Disley and, and Colby Parkinson. We didn't want to use them, you know, but we had to. Is that what Pete Carroll's really going to say to the media? Come on, folks. He's, a, yeah. you know, he's managing people. He's, you know, he, he wants these guys to feel like they're going to be a part of the game in any given week and that he can get their best from them and not make them feel like that they're just, that they're trash and don't, don't want them there because coaches understand that it's more than fantasy football out there. You know, these guys have opportunities to contribute and they value them. But you're right. It's all, it's the same thing all over again. It's like they're cursed to not be able to put out the offense they actually want to run right now. Yep. Yeah. So I would, yeah, just JSN folks, if you have them in Dynasty, um, if, if, if you, you keep them, if someone doesn't, somebody wants to give them up, take him. He's a dented can right now in that respect. So, Okay. Um, what about, let's see, anybody else on that list for you that you would say? That... Um, I mean, a player that, again, I, I don't think it happens for this year. I didn't, I didn't mean to put two rookies, but the, the other rookie that I, that I have right now is uh, Quinn Johnston. Um, he was never going to be a guy that I expected to be good in year one. Yeah, He, he had a lot of refining to do, and now he's going to get elevated into this role because people think that, well, Mike Williams is out. It's going to be him. Someone has to replace Mike Williams. No, that's not that's not how the receiver position works. He could be on the field all he wants to be. Josh Palmer is going to be on the field more than him if you look at the two. And I actually think that uh, from an offensive standpoint, it's Gerald Everett that you see yes. get more usage than uh, than yeah. Quinn Johnston. So yeah. he he's got the part. He's got every he's got everything you like athletically. Um, his contested catches are pretty poor. His body catching is pretty tough to be a part of. But uh, for me. He's the other guy that I'm like, I don't even see it happening, even with Mike Williams being out. Yeah, definitely without a doubt. I mean, and I think that, you know, the the attack, the attack that he has is just all over the place. It's like the Ricky Bobby, yeah. I don't know how to use my hands thing. You know, what do yeah. I do with them? Um, and that's got to get better. But Everett, so good after the catch um, and going to be relied upon a little bit more. So that makes total sense to me. Um you know, when I th I think of players that, you know, maybe their time is coming. I mean, I still, I think that Zach Evans is a player who 
you know, has the the talent. Yep. The question is, is he mature? Is he mature enough? Because the the issues, I I wondered if the issues were about high school and people just hung on to the fact that he got he got basically suspended from his high school championship game for not giving his cell phone over to his coach per policy and that and the whole quixotic recruiting tale and he and he couldn't decide well his parents weren't really in an emotional or maturity place to be able to help him the guy who was the patriarch of his family was his grandfather who passed away a year before he he got all those serious it was really serious recruiting time so i think he handled it all himself he was a good student wherever he was i mean like he was act i believe he was like all academic you know first year at tcu so he's a smart kid maybe there's some maturity stuff there maybe some of the maturity maybe if cam Akers and the maturity issues or the issues with like being accountable and doing what he's supposed to do with McVeigh, if that was true, you know, I don't know. We don't know whether it's true or not, or if you do, you know yeah. something, you know, I don't know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a different story. But from what, what I would know, what I don't know, I have to assume it could be either side of the equation. It could be the people who I've heard whispers that say, you know, McVeigh's a great mind. He's a great coach um, in terms of X's and O's and scheme. But he, he also oftentimes is the smartest man in the room and wants everybody to know about it and has all the answers. And even when he doesn't have all the answers, he can be kind of stubborn about the answers that he has. Um, and maybe his communication wasn't great. Maybe they just didn't communicate well together. I try to look at either side of the story. What I'm put, looking at is that, you know, Evans has been inactive all yeah. year. So, and from a pure film talent standpoint, I think he's the best running back on the roster now with, um, with, you know, acres gone, but you know, Kyron Williams makes no, doesn't make a lot of mistakes compared to everybody else. He's a low mistake player relative to what they have on the roster. But at some point it's either sink or swim for Evans. Like it. And I think yeah. that he's a guy that next year, if he doesn't, if he doesn't, um, have a significant hand in the running game, then the answer is probably that he was he was either um, not a favorite of McVeigh's, and we and we learn down the line that McVeigh played favorites in a way that was a little bit, you know, that sometimes skipped over players who were talented, or that he wasn't a favorite because he wasn't a he wasn't a professional at the level that he needs to be. But he's a guy that I would stay patient with at the cost that you can get him or where you can acquire him. That makes sense. Yeah, no, I, Zach Evans, uh, his Ole Miss, it kind of sucked that they just got Quinshawn Junkins, who's just, yeah. he's, he's, he was NFL ready as a freshman. So <laughs> he, he had a tough sled. I mean, when he was on the field and got the ball in Ole Miss, he was very productive. Um, yeah. Lane Kiffin gets hit. Lane Kiffin's very focused on getting whoever his best player is the ball. And him and Quinchon Jenkins were that uh, this past year. They were a very run-heavy team, and now this year they're actually a little bit more balanced with Jackson Dar back there. So I do agree that Zach Evans is a guy that he is more talented than Kyron Williams, but it's, it's about are you, is he being more coachable than him? Is he being someone that's bought into what he's being asked to do, even if he doesn't want to do it? Sometimes that gets the best of athletes. And then a guy that's probably, you know, 
I, I would just keep an eye on. He's You don't probably have to have him on your roster. But I love that Xavier Hutchinson is playing special teams at the level that he is <laughs> and that he's embraced that role on the team. And I, I think that he has an opportunity to grow because Robert Woods, like you said, isn't going to be around forever. They're trying to get John Mechie into the mix. You know, mm-hmm. they already have. But the, the question is, you have your ultra explosive guy. You've got you've got your guy in Collins who is explosive enough to win downfield, but he's really more of an in-cut type of big player or using his size to win on fades and, and sail routes and things like that on the perimeter. And Hutchinson, is he that guy that can be that third option for that team? Is he Does he fit into that mix? I don't know, but I think he's the type of player that even if he doesn't have a long-term career in Houston that he might wind up somewhere else where he plays himself into the favor of coaches um, and continues to grow his game because I think he has the right attitude for being a professional and by year three, year four, we look at him and go, maybe he's what some people thought Noah Brown could develop into, which is a starter and grow into a starter where Brown was like, he's a nice he's a nice reserve who can do a lot of things for you, but that's yeah. his ceiling, you know? Yeah, makes sense. Xavier Hutchinson was someone I also got to meet and talk to at the Senior Bowl. Um, he was definitely a professional and also just a good dude. I, I think uh, last year of, of Iowa State, he was just like, hey, we lost Brees Hall to the draft. Your turn. And he just took on the role of like, I'll get targeted 17 times a game. I will catch 16 of them. I will carry this offense no matter where you're placing it. And just they can double me, triple me. It doesn't really matter. It's uh, the big, the Big Twelve defenses are a uh, little, <laughs> little not yeah. capable of defending some of that type of stuff. But uh, he dominated his last year in college too. Yeah, without a doubt. So, how about guys who you think are fantasy options? You know, this year or will be this year that you just feel like were written off too early. Uh, to start, it's a player that's playing a full-time role. And it's a player that is maybe a one-trick pony in a sense, but it's that's fine. I, I think that can still be viable depending on how deep your league is. And it's Alec Pierce. Like, Menchie was not going to be the guy that fits well with him. That doesn't... that Those two don't, I feel like, correlate. But Anthony Richardson and him, it's the target's going to be there. Like, it... Anthony Richardson can throw a football 70 yards and Alec Pierce is their guy to do that type of stuff. It was not there in week one against Jacksonville first game. It's Anthony Richardson's first start. And then they were boat racing uh, Houston early on in that game where Anthony Richardson was just running and getting cool plays designed for him. So Alec Pierce is running 90% of the routes, I believe, and just someone that He's on the field. Eventually, the production's going to come, and it's going to come from down the field. It's going to be similar to, like, uh, Gabe Davis, where he gets 70 targets this year. 40 of them get caught, and they're for, you know, uh, 500, 600 yards, and he scores five touchdowns. You're like, how did he catch a big touchdown this week? And it's like, well, because Anthony Richardson was able to have time processed, and it was man coverage, and he launched the ball 60 yards. Yeah, I, I think a guy that I'll probably say – it's becoming a little more obvious this after this week, and it's not one that I love to recommend, but I'll say um, Deshaun Watson. I think that um, after the first couple of games, you know, it looked rough. I think the Nick Chubb injury has basically allowed 
um, afforded Watson a real second chance because now all that lobbying to Kevin Stefanski to say, spread the field, let me do what I do well. And Stefanski's like, I like to compress the field. I like to run the ball. I want to do all these things. Now it's kind of like, well, it's going to run through you. I like Jerome Ford. I like Kareem Hunt as football players. But in terms of like what you, where you're going to get your biggest bang for your buck is spreading the offense out. And you can still, they did some inventive things with the screen game, uh, you know, yeah. last week. They're going to be able to do a lot of the Stefanski-esque stuff that they do with that. But I think you're going to see this be Deshaun Watson's offense 100%. And as a result, he's probably going to end up producing at a, at a reasonably high level. Is he going to get back to his Houston Texans days? I'm not quite sure about that, but I think, but I think that he will be a quarterback one in most leagues, maybe even a 10 team league. He still may be, uh, you know, a low end quarterback one. So, you know, I like, I, 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 I like the matchup of what the scheme's going to be with who the player is. That makes sense. Yeah, no, he's someone that he runs. He's he's also really willing to run right now, which is just going to give you easy fantasy points, and that's the key to uh, to having that uh, big year. I think uh, one other player that I'll mention for fantasy options written off too early is he plays with a quarterback that runs, but right now they can't do anything because the offensive line is just the worst in the NFL. Darren Waller. I was big on Darren Waller. Um, I still think his role is perfect for what I want in my tight end. I think he's going to dominate targets as the season progresses. It's just going to be about just having any sort of offensive line and not playing the Dallas Cowboys or the 49ers. Um, The Giants this past week, I think Daniel Jones has been pressured in in under two seconds on like 27 dropbacks this year which is twice more than any other quarterback in the nfl um daniel jones isn't playing well he's no quarterback would be with the offensive line that they've had in the defensive lines that they've gone up against but once they get some time in the pocket once andrew thomas comes back they'll be able to get some things going and i think darren waller is going to be a big piece of that and he was one of my favorite tight ends coming into the year and still is as we speak yeah no i get it i get it i what do you think about just out of curiosity? What do you think about Brandon Ayuk this year? Now that I mean, we saw what he, where he, yeah. all this was trending, but that shoulder looked pretty rough. The you know, do you mm-hmm. think that he? Do you think are you still enthusiastic about him, or are you worried about the shoulder? I'm worried about the shoulder just because it's like an extension thing. Like he's a guy that like Purdy doesn't put the ball at your chest. Um, Purdy puts it for you to make a play. And like extending his arm to make a grab is going to be scary. Receivers with shoulders uh, have always been a fear of mine just from that perspective. And I use someone that like he'll go up and get it. And like that's what he wants to do. That's how I think his touchdown to one of his touchdowns was all about it. Um, from like a getting open perspective, I think Ayuk's gonna have no issues doing that. I think he still is the number one receiver there, but we're also seeing Debo Samuel be healthy, be skinny, be the electric, explosive player that he still is. Like everybody is very into this idea that like just because he has to break tackles makes him a uh, bad receiver. It's like no. Oh, Teams play zone, teams give him some space, and when they do, okay. he just catches it and bulldozes three other people. So the 49ers are going to be tough throughout the whole season because they can beat you in whatever they, they want. 
but for Ayuk specifically, that that shoulder scares me from a reaching out like yeah. over the top catches. I hope he, he gets held out until he's a hundred or as close to a hundred percent as he's going to get this year. I hope he does too, because and I also hope Ronnie Bell gets a little more playing time as a result yeah. of that, because I've I've I like what I saw of him in the preseason, and I'd like to see him get a little get game experience just to help him develop a little bit more long term, because there's a there's some there's something there that I yeah. think that can be farmed. Um, Jared Goff, do you think he's earning a long-term gig in, in Detroit, or do you think this is more of, he's still more of a, uh, you know, just a bridge until they find a better opportunity to draft a, a high-end quarterback? The, he's definitely a bridge until they can find that high-end quarterback. Uh, he allows every weapon to grow. That's the big thing that Goff has over a lot of these other, like, veteran quarterbacks that were turnstile, like, situations. Like, Monra is development is just increased because Jared Goff. Like, Jameson Williams' development, I think, is the only one that I'm concerned about just from the standpoint of Goff just not being the down-the-field passer that he should be for Jameson Williams. But as far as, like, long-term gig, he's going to keep them out of contention for those top uh, picks at the quarterback position. However, he is someone that I think kind of gets like the similar situation he had with the Rams. They're going to win games with him. He's not going to put you in the top 10, but he's also probably not putting you at 32. He's a situation where it could go the way of San Fran, where they don't ever really replace him. They buy up into the quarterback and he just beats them out. Or it could go the situation where the Rams, where they make the move for the quarterback was clearly the guy to kind of take it over the top. But Dan Campbell loves him, so I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. I just don't believe that uh, if there's an opportunity to get a quarterback that they love, especially in this upcoming draft class where it might be five to seven quarterbacks that I think could be argued in the first round. Obviously, that's going to mean some guys slip to the second round. And from a talent perspective, they already have uh, Hendon Hooker that they're going to try to develop as a big project that i think could pay off with the offense that they're building yeah yeah i I look at i agree with golf in the sense that like he's not the guy who you can get painted you can paint him into a corner and he's going to use his athletic ability and arm to create something that that they tried to stop you from doing um but in terms of gaining more experience being tough in the pocket Getting, you know, I thought he was good at at Cal at being able to discern the blitz and handle pressure. At with the Rams, it just seemed like it was like he got. I I wonder if he got told so much about what to do and how to do it and how everything was supposed to go that it was like, or on a need to know basis that he was maybe on a need to know basis that because the the language that Campbell said was we threw a lot at him we just decided sink or swim with him. And if yeah. he couldn't handle it, whatever. But he just kept showing he could handle it, which mm-hmm. was the guy I thought I saw at Cal. And then with the Rams, it was almost like that's why I'm a little critical of a guy like McVay, who's a you know he's great, but at the same time you wonder with that Shanahan influence management style of things that you wonder if a little bit of it's like, well, this is what you need to know. You don't have to be yeah. the do everything guy. They they will. They will kiss the behind of a do-everything guy if they can get him. But if they get a guy that they're not sure about, I think they micromanage these guys to death sometimes. And I think that maybe McVay micromanaged Goff to the point that people just assumed he was a puppet. And 
and so but yeah if they can find a guy who can who can throw them out of a corner i think they'll they'll take it but if they can't i think he's going to be there for a while so yeah so what about before we go got two two last questions we got dfs matchups you like this week because again you you're known as the df you're the dfs guy at the 33rd team you've yep. had quite a story with that that i've always enjoyed because the dfs guys most of us know in daily fantasy are very numbers driven and you're a film guy and you're yep. doing pretty damn well for yourself as a film guy so just as a thought who's a chalk play who's a long shot that you that you're that you would recommend to people this week so from a chalks perspective, I think uh, Chris Olave is a guy that I'm just going to go to. Uh, he was one of my favorite receivers coming into the year. He hasn't scored a touchdown yet, but he's had over 80 yards every single game. You look at this Tampa Bay uh, defense, they've struggled against number one so far. You saw A.J. Brown just get peppered. He had over 140. D.J. Moore had 100 yards against them. And then in week one, obviously, Jay Jettis had over 150. And that was without the Vikings having the ball ever in the second half. The Saints, obviously, Derek Carr's out for a few weeks with the AC joint sprain. You had Jameis Winston come in. Last year, with Jameis Winston under center, Chris Olave was very, very good against single high coverages. Todd Bowles has implemented a little bit more too high this year, but he is a guy that does not want you to run. And I don't think he's going to let Alvin Kamara get going, and he's going to trust his DBs on the boundary. That's where Chris Olave comes in and is just going to be a menace towards them. They are also dealing with some injuries at the cornerback position right now. That is something that I'm monitoring with uh, Carlton Davis and Jamal Dean, those two guys. They can kind of create problems with Chris Olave because they're so physical. But Olave as a rookie was still managing over 60 or 70 yards a game against this Tampa Bay defense last year. And it's kind of like, I think he took a step up which means the big play is going to be there on these guys that like to get their hands on you and try to keep you at the line of scrimmage. So Alave to me is the chalk play. And then the long shot, I have no idea why DraftKings keeps pricing Adam Thielen under 4,500. I, I need them to stop because I keep I keep playing it. I keep playing him. He's <laughs> he's one of my guys, a Carolina Panthers fan. It's not trying to be a fandom base, but Brian Flores is just sending the house right now. He's just blitzing. The only team he didn't blitz, I don't know why, or blitz at a high enough rate was the Eagles. Everybody else he's playing blitz, man coverage, single high, and his corners are playing seven, eight yards off the ball. So Adam Thielen is a guy that is going to catch a ton of passes. And then if you want the bigger long shot, because Thielen will probably be rostered pretty heavily, uh, DJ Chark. We've seen Brian Flores' defenses give up the big play. Obviously, we saw Mike Williams do it uh, last week. We saw Mike Evans do it. DJ Chark looked good with Andy Dalton under center. He's fully healthy now, running, I think, over like 80% of the routes. And, and against this scheme, only takes one play. And DJ Chark is a guy that doesn't need a lot of targets to pay, pay off the 3800 price tag, I think. It's just ridiculous that we're like Thielen is as low as he is. And he had 150 yards last week. He had 80 and a touchdown the week prior. Like, what? why? Why is he not 5K already? Like, what are we doing? Ageism, <laughs> I'm telling you, man. It's hilarious. It's, it's I, I have him in a dynasty league with a bunch of other old receivers who seem to be still playing well in Keenan Allen and Michael Thomas. Um, 
And yep. I did try to add DJ Chark in that that league because somebody actually cut him in this forty man <laughs> roster league. It's Jesus. it's and I was like, but I got outbid. Um, so, but but yeah, that was I was hoping for that myself. So, last question is because you're you know you've got some football background. You obviously just listening to you for this past hour and five minutes that we've done this. <laughs> that you know i think people are going to understand that, that you have that football b background um what's some advice to people that you could give about either you know how to learn the offensive game deeper or to go deeper with learning defense you know just like you can pick any area of either side of the ball where like you would say this is a place to start and 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 get better from there because i've always thought you can people are like well read this book you know, and learn all these books, you know, and there's like all these books about coverages and all these different things. And I think some of the best advice I ever got one time was like, just start with looking at the center and the guard, what they do after the snap and slowly expand your way out from there and gradually yeah. do that. So what's that for you? For me, it's find something you love to watch. For me, Center and guard was, was not where I started. It was the receiver in the corner in front of them. It was learning, watching how, like finding plays where a guy's in press coverage and seeing how a receiver responds to it. Seeing, um, just learning the game from that aspect and then asking questions. Like if anybody ever tagged me about a film question where they, you know, recorded on their phone, like, what is this? Why is this receiver doing this? Like, I'll respond. I, I can give my input. The The amount of information that's out there is ex, uh, is ridiculous. Like you can get to anything you really want to learn um, just by going to YouTube and typing some things up. You have to vet some of that information. Let's, let's be uh, yeah. <laughs> very careful with who we're exactly buying into. But ask questions. Find the position you love. It could be linebacker. It could be receiver and corner. It could be any specific area start with one master one and expand out i am still learning about the run game i am still learning about coverages and match coverage and there's there's so much stuff that i believe i don't know and never think you know everything there is to know because football is an ever-changing game and we're seeing so many different like things that were put away for so many years come back into the thing yeah. i think the colts ran wing t in week one yeah. which is just absolutely awesome like i i awesome to see at the nfl level that that's great advice and it's like i think people don't realize how siloed football is you know there are people who are great at the x's and o's of scheme maybe yep. there are people who are great at you know the analytics of play decision making or just looking at the data you know from a variety of angles the th or certain theories of things um there are people who are very good with you know movement skills and techniques um and it can be broken down siloed by position or groups yeah. of positions and i you know you know just because you know just because you can tell different coverages doesn't make you a great scout just because yep. you're a, a decent scout doesn't mean that you you can be a coach. You, you know, there's a it's 
there's so much to learn with it. So that's why it's fun to be able to bring people on who learn thing, who have thing, you know, knowledge from, you know, different silos and to be able to kind of highlight that and help you kind of learn the game. So Jordan, tell folks about where they can find you and what you have going on. You can find me on Twitter at Jordan Vanek DFS. Obviously you heard me talk film a lot, but the DFS is attached to the end of my uh, Twitter or X name and handle. Um, you'll see me post all my content there as well as on the 33rdteam.com. We have a ton of you know great stuff out there. I do a weekly article where I review my lineups, whether they won or they lost uh, with Mark Garcia. This past week, I had a lineup that I played that looking back, I built it during the crunch time of 12.50 to 1 p.m. And it was like, wow, all these players I like. I put this lineup together. Looking back on it, awful lineup awful construction i'm very uh, upset with myself for playing it but you know you lose money when you do things the wrong way so i'm very open about my process and when i do my weekly article for the main slate of tournaments i break down my stacks my mini stacks everything from a coverage perspective that i'm seeing you won't see that from any other uh dfs analyst that i personally know out there so 33rdteam.com is where I'm at and Twitter at Jordan Vanek DFS. Love the transparency. That's awesome. You know, and obviously, you know, he, he knows, he knows ball. You can <laughs> see that you can find me at Matt Waldman. Um, and if you can't find me there, I'm probably walking this dog who's trying to chew my chair off right now at the bottom of the screen that you can't see, but, uh, that's okay. We appreciate you listening and, uh, we'll tune in, you know, tune in at another time and hopefully, you know, catch Jordan with what he's doing and, uh, have a good week.